Let's just end breaking this. No more bullshit. No more bullshit. No bullshit. Hey, y'all. What's going on? Hey, Charlie. Oh, it works. Mark, can yeah. you hear me? Yeah, I can. Can the doctor hear me? Doc, yeah. can you hear me? He's muted. There he is. He should hear you now. I can hear you. Okay. Uh, thank you. I, I, how does it feel? Uh, Dr. Nikolai Vidi, the superintendent of Detroit Public School Community District. How's the technology feel? Uh, the, the, the technology for all of us or right now, it feels good. <laughs> yeah, see, it, we're, we're going to get to that with the, with the, uh, the issues uh, your kids are facing, the kids right. around the state. But let me do a little business first, okay? And then we'll, okay. we'll come right back. Thanks for jumping in. Um, listen, everybody. You can't work. That's a big deal. Everybody's flipping out. Let me remind you of something. ADR Associates has construction ground to a halt for you. Not if you're working with ADR. Their clients have had permits issued this week. Visual inspections have been conducted. Crews are working safely in full compliance with the law. Employees are getting paid. Things are getting built. So don't lay down. Get things done legally and with full respect for the emergency corona measures. ADR Consultants, 248-318-9424. I'm not joking. This is people we deal with, get things done right. Now you're going to find out. Get the job done right, on time, on budget, right now. Call Barry Ellen Tuck, 248-318-9424. Honest, ethical, smart. ADR Consultants, get to work. 248-318-9424. And here's a cool one, guys. You got that picture from the Washington Post? Mark? Yep, we have it. Pull that up. Uh, if you're listening, you're not going to see it, but I'll tell you what it is. This is the front page today, Friday, of the Washington Post talking about all the people being laid off across America, the most since the Great Depression. Uh, I can't see the picture, but is it up? It's up, yep. Look at that thing, man. That's the center of Detroit. See how beautifully that's lit? Yeah. See that thing? I painted that. Look at how well that's lit. So <laughs> that is the heart and soul of Detroit. It's America. Right now they're catering to cops. They're American going to Coney Island. Meals to, the, to the front lines. Um, they will cater for you. Just go to AmericanConeIsland.com and call the Coney Island hotline. If you want a Coney kit delivered to your door, go to AmericanConeIsland.com, the heart and soul of Detroit. All right. Boom. Dr. Nikolai Vidi, how are you, brother? Good. You gotta be dying. This is um, this is just unprecedented. Let me just start with this. You're seeing how poor Michigan's biggest city really is. I think the skin's been pulled off the skeleton. What are you seeing? Well, you know, anyone that that knows the city knows that we've been dealing with historic. Uh, injustice related to race and socioeconomic um, uh, issues related to health care, education, employment. Uh, and again, anyone who knows the city knows that. I think 
when we um, are dealing with this kind of crisis, those issues become clear for the outside eye and in, in, in the outside uh, world. And that's what you're seeing with the national conversation, a bit with the state conversation. But anyone that knows the city, works in the city, is true to the city, knows that these issues have always been here. Um, but it, but uh, in a crisis like this, there's a different level of conversation. There's a different level of awareness. But this is nothing new. You know, I was asked the other day, what would you like people to know uh, or do differently because of this crisis? And, uh, and, and what I said was, there's been a number of crises in this country, uh, for Katrina, for example, where we knew we had an opportunity to learn from our mistake, historic mistakes, current mistakes linked to race and class. And as a nation, we still don't do what we need to do from an investment point of view uh, to prevent those kind of tragedies from happening into the future. And I think COVID-19 is going to be another example in, our, in, in the country's history, in our state's history, in our city's history. We're going to look back on this and say, what are we going to do? What could we have done differently moving forward to not be as prepared to deal with a crisis like this? And, you know, it's going to be up to national and state leadership and city leadership to prevent something like this from having the impact that it had. Uh, I'm skeptical and cynical based on the history of our country that we will put in the right uh, systems, processes, make the right investments to prevent something like this from happening again. Because unfortunately, you know, we know the history of race and socioeconomics in this country. But, um, you know, that, that's what I'd say to your question. And so, so Dr. Dr. Vitti, where would that leave us? I mean, and do you have the opportunity to make a contribution to help change the discussion? You came in on the platform of change, and I think that you've done a great job with trying to initiate change, uh, changing the perception, the support, uh, the engagement at DPSCD. But where does that leave us if, in fact, nothing has changed and your voice isn't invited to help redefine who we are and what we do differently? Yeah, and every time I, I have that chance uh, on the national level, state level, city level, I say what I just said uh, related to Charlie's question. And I'll continue to say the same thing in, as far as lifting up the inequities linked to uh, race and socioeconomic background. Um, but, you know, from an education point of view, uh, I'm using this opportunity to try to rally the business community, for example, and in finally investing in the digital divide issue, which... Um, I'm optimistic uh, that we will see a significant investment in providing every family with a tablet uh, and internet access for the next six months. So uh, I can't say that that's confirmed, but I can say that people are listening. Uh, there's energy uh, around the issue. And that could be one issue that we at least make some progress on uh, as it relates to the digital divide from an educational point of view. But those tablets and internet access can also address other resource issues that families have in the city uh, because they lack the device or the internet access. So that's something I'm trying to do through the school system. Um, but, you know, bigger picture, we have to talk about, uh, obviously, uh, secure jobs uh, with livable wages, health care, um, that's that's consistent. Um, we, we have to talk about uh, access to um, uh, the right job preparedness. Uh, we have to talk about strengthening the education system uh, to eliminate the generational challenges that exist with acad academics. 
you know, it's not, it, all of this is interrelated, as you know, the healthcare, employment, and education. And, you know, when, you ha- when you've had an education system run by the state, uh, essentially run to the ground uh, without any kind of vision of what children are capable of doing through a traditional public school system, you're left with a generation of children that can't compete globally, nevertheless, uh, statewide throughout this country, because they haven't been provided the right skills and experiences academically. But in the last three years, I think we have made a difference. We, we are showing that the school system can not only be normal, but can be higher performing. Every one of our indicators was moving in the right direction from attendance uh, to overall enrollment, student achievement was improved, defined by state and national test scores, reducing vacancy rates, increasing teacher pay. Everything was moving in the right direction. And I think with more time, uh, we're going to continue to show that improvement. Uh, looking towards the future, like you're talking about, to prepare for the next problem is, is slightly abstract. What about the here and now, right now? For people that don't know, what percentage of students do not have internet access? And even more so, what percent of students maybe not participating in distance learning right now? Right. So, so I would say most of our families have at least uh, some kind of device defined by an iPhone, an Android a laptop, a desktop. The challenge is the depth of their uh, internet access. Um, So they don't have the data plans uh, to download PDFs. They don't have the data plans to stay online for long periods of time uh, to complete uh, assignments or listen to uh, a taped video uh, recording. That's the challenge. But to your other question, uh, we, we do have online tools now that students can use, and only about 10% of them are using them at the K-8 level. So that defines the challenge right now. What would you just say? Wow. Only 10%. Only 10% of, I would say, about 40, about four, uh, only 10%, so 4,000 of 40,000 students are consistently using the online Look at that. that Look are at this. since March 12th. This is what I know, Nick. A lot of kids don't have food. You had to deal with that first. Yeah, right? Just food. We're, we're providing 100,000 meals a week. 100,000 uh, meals a week. 100,000 meals a week. Okay, now I know because I love the people that uh, you represent, the teachers and uh, the therapists and, and everything you're trying to do. When you try to get a hold of families, the phone number's changed. It's gone. It's shut off. It's swapped to someone. You, you can't even do that. Um, uh, the internet, as you say, this this city was supposed to be wired. There, remember that? Mm-hmm. There was going to be internet on top of the light poles. That disappeared. Answer me this question. For the people listening, say, in Ferndale or in Escanaba, dude, why should I care? I'm worried about my own kid. Why, why am I worried about the kids of Detroit? Well, I mean, one way to answer that question is we should think we should care about all of our kids, regardless Mm. of what zip code, you know, race, uh, class. Uh, I mean, we're human beings and we should think about the collective good. Um, You know, that's what I hope uh, we can all strive for. But if if we're cynical and we only care about ourselves, then at the minimum, uh, if we don't take care of Detroit kids, at some point, those same kids that aren't taken care of will have a burden on you economically in some way or the other. 
um, because because they can't be employed, because they're incarcerated, because of crime. Um, you know, hopefully we don't have to go to the cynical level, but uh, and we can talk about what is right at a human level. Right. If you can't get there, then just be cynically driven to realize that there's a negative impact on your life economically when you don't take care of other people's children. Because we're living in a time where the divide is going to be exponentially greater. It, you know, if you leave people in the dark, our kids, are, what society are we going to leave? That's the way I look at it. Well, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, um, our kids, I believe, are actually more talented than other kids throughout the country. Our kids are persistent. Uh, our kids are entrepreneurs. They're problem solvers. They're thinkers. Uh, if they can get through what they get through every day and still go to school and still focus, then they're overcoming obstacles that the average kid in suburban America isn't actually going through. So if it, so if they can get through all that and still at least compete, imagine what they could do if you actually gave them the stability uh, that other kids throughout the country have. And that's why we have some of the exceptional kids that, that end up doing great things, but they end up being the exception, not the rule. And, and imagine how many more kids that are capable of, do, of, of, of just give, providing greatness to this country um, if they're given the equal opportunity. And that's just not what is given in this country. Dr. Vitti, let me ask you, because for decades, uh, Detroit Public Schools have been has been burdened with uh, a bad reputation. Changing the perception and making people receptive to the changes and the accomplishments that have been realized under your leadership. What has that been like? I mean, because people want to hold on to the old DPS. They don't want to see uh, the accomplishments, the changes, the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. Yeah, I th- that's that's real. Um, you know, the best thing that I that I always say is just come to our schools. You know, forget about what you've heard. Forget about what you think. Just visit our schools, any of our schools, and you'll walk through the hallways and you're going to see bell-to-bell instruction. You're going to see curriculum that is at grade level, curriculum that is nationally recognized as being at grade level. You're going to see students actually reading books and articles in class and discussing them in Socratic circles. Uh, Do we have work to do? Absolutely. But teaching and learning is happening in our buildings. There's systems and processes to work with students that are below grade level. We're starting to use more technology in the classroom. Um, our schools are looking normal. And I know that may sound odd to other people, but when the system was run into the ground, a lot of our systems weren't operating normally. And when not only are we at normal, but there are classrooms, there are individual schools that are starting to go um, above normal. And we have schools that are competing above the district uh, average and more importantly, the state average. We have, we have about 10 schools that are outperforming the state average in reading and math, for example. And these are not just our exam and application schools. So um, as people reorientate themselves to our schools, visit, walk through, they're going to see things that they hadn't seen before. Music and art in every school, PE established in every school. You know, those, those things were all gutted under emergency management that we're bringing back. Counseling, counseling. It's correct. huge. It's huge. Now, you, you brought up the question. Social worker at every school. See, look at that. that I mean, that's normal. Right. It's, funny, it's funny. Normal's an achievement. But now <laughs> it, it, it begs the question. I'm looking at the state as a whole. So for everybody around this state, collectively, our achievement level has fallen. And that's beyond race. 
That's beyond socioeconomic status. Right. It's across the board. So why is it, Nick, is that we can blame charter schools, family participation, money? I think, is it the, sh- the tests, the standardized tests and the curriculum keep shifting to a test that keeps shifting? Why, why are we failing? Well, I, I think what, what happened in Michigan, and, and again, I'm, this isn't real. I'm not trying to have a partisan conversation. No, come on. But, you know, but reality is uh, we've had we've had governors, uh, mainly Republican governors um, that were not visionary. Uh, we're not even supportive of traditional K-12 education. Uh, they shifted funding. They 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 shifted priority uh, to choice, uh, initiated choice in this state without guardrails, without accountability. 80% of our, our charter schools are for-profit, um, and it shifted resources, it shifted focus um, in a non-research-based way, and we had complete anarchy. Uh, we, we had the Wild West as far as education is concerned. We turned our poorest, most vulnerable children into guinea pigs, um, and uh, we set up children and families and communities for failure uh, out of ideological politics. Whereas other states uh, invested in teachers, they invested in um, professional development, they invested uh, in sat- teacher salaries, they invested in wraparound services, and the achievement continued to improve. Our state but went I, backwards because we I hate to, I hate to say it though, but when, you're, when you look at our teachers statewide, and I believe teachers should be paid more, don't get me wrong, but they're in the top 11 in terms of um, Payment and when you put in standard of living, cost of living, Michigan teachers rank number one. I think they should be paid more. So save me the letters. But something else also happened. We said, I, I, we we drained the school systems. There's no doubt about that. The 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 uh, a lotto was supposed to put more money into the system, not redirect the money that was already into the system. If I was governor, I'd want to know what caused. All of our boats, not just Detroit, but Ferndale and, you know, the rural areas. What fucking happened? It, it's always, I always say this, you know, as a former teacher, principal, uh, you know, principal leader, superintendent, it's always about for every degree of accountability, there has to be a degree of support. Every degree of support, there has to be a degree of accountability. And what the state didn't figure out like other states did, Massachusetts, for example, being one, is as you invest um, in teacher salaries, you have to invest in accountability. You have to invest in professional development. And and standardized testing isn't the end all. It can be one of many measures that's used, but how students are performing does matter. Um, And, you know, how are you how are you um, highlighting success and how are you defining struggling schools, but supporting them to get better? The state really hasn't had a vision to do that in over a decade. It's, it's philosophy of change was we need more charters, we need more choice. But in the meantime, we weren't investing in professional development. We weren't teaching uh, teachers really how to teach reading. We weren't uh, investing in students with special needs. Um, we weren't um, doing all the things that we know leads to raising student achievement. We were just saying, if you're unhappy with your school, go to a charter or take a uh, or go to another school district that may be perceived to be more higher performing. 
that's not that and that in and of itself isn't going to lead to higher improvement. The charters uh, don't do any better. We know that. So, which leads to the question: Where did your kids go to school? So my my kids uh, go to DPSED, and then uh, uh, some of my other kids go to uh, Catholic schools. It's a combination yeah. of the two. You went to all Catholic my, school. All my, all my kids though have been in DPSED. Uh, I have I have students that uh, have IEPs, um, and so they need more support than my other students. So uh, I read that. So you you grew up what in Dearborn, right? Correct. Yep. My man. So Dearborn, your mom, Dearborn and Inkster. In Inkster. My side of town, brother. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Cherry Hill. Cherry Hill, Joy Road, and Wayne Road, man. Okay. Yeah. Right there. Right there. My my father had my grandfather had a pizzeria right on Wayne Road off Telegram. Carlos. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm sure we uh, probably jumped one of your delivery guys. <laughs> <laughs> um. So your mom dropped out of high school when when she was pregnant with a kid. That's right. And she's a hairdresser. That's right. You're from regular stuff. So uh, you're not some egghead. No, no. My, my uh, immigrants uh, worked at the Rouge plant. Uh, uh, that's, that's, that's my history. That's why I'm here. So I am, that's, I am that's why you, so that's why you, you believe in like, you're, you're from where I'm from and that's what you're about. So you had dyslexia. Yep, still dyslexic. Yep, two of my kids are dyslexic as well. So, how does a guy graduate Harvard? Wait, what is dyslexia anyway? So, dyslexia is really just um, it's a neurological um, delay issue in the brain. Nothing to do with intelligence, but dyslexic often uh, struggle with basic math, basic reading, um, difficulty connecting sounds with letters. So, this is why the reading process is more challenging. Math, uh, simple math is more challenging, but once you're provided with the right kind of intervention, you can do with any what any other student does. The problem is uh, often we're not providing the right intervention for students um, to do that. So I thought it was you mixed up letters. Yeah, you know? it, it's some of that, but it's more complicated than that. But yeah, it, most people know it as switching letters, which makes the reading and math process difficult. Well, look, let me do you, go ahead, Karen, and I got yeah, one. Yeah, I know, and because I know we're he's got a, a hard exactly. stop, and we want to respect your time. But Dr. Vitti, yeah. if there is one thing that you could ask from the community, those people that are watching Facebook Live and Charlie's hundreds of thousands of uh, people that listen to the podcast, what's the one thing that we as the community can do to help contribute to your success and the success of the students in DPSCD? Well, you know, one I would say uh, highlight the improvement that we're making um, and, and encourage people to go out to schools and see the actual work. You know, I can say a lot um, and, and people um, are beginning to trust me and, and know our work. But really what matters is what you see in our classroom and what you see in our schools. And I would just say, regardless of where you're at with your level of skepticism, go to our schools and see the work that's happening. And then, you know, talk to our employees. Uh, our employees are saying that that we're doing things differently and better, that they feel supported. They feel like the district is advocating for them, problem solving with them, but also holding them accountable. And then the other thing, the last thing I would say is come to me directly when there's a problem and there's an issue. I don't run. I don't hide. I don't send no, someone else don't. to talk for me. So I, I'm far from perfect. I'm going to make mistakes as a leader. But I think people know where my heart is. 
They know uh, what I'm about uh, and they know I'm here for the right reasons. So when I make a mistake or I misstep, then call me out, hold me accountable and allow me to explain what we're doing, why we're doing and what we're going to do differently to solve the problem. All right, Nick. So what you said was Laduff can come in and observe the schools. Is that what you said? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So all that bureaucracy below you that's going to get in the way, the man said I could do it. Now, uh, let me ask you this. I know some people are listening, but some are watching. I'm holding up a sign for the doctor. What does that say, Nick? Stop. Okay. You're not dyslexic. Does that say (laughs) pots to you? It took took a lot of intervention uh, to be able to. So I'll, I'll tell you this, Charlie, you know, you asked, how did I get, how did I get to Harvard? Do you know that uh, I took the GRE, which you probably know it's the equivalent of the SAT, after I was done with college? Uh, I was an athlete, so that was my ticket to college. And um, I took the GRE, was in about the 50th percentile, and I knew I wouldn't get into the graduate schools that I wanted to get into. So I took two full summers. I was a teacher, uh, and in the summers I studied for the GRE, um, and then I ended up taking it three years later and was in the 99th percentile. Uh, and that's how Look I got you. into Harvard. Uh, oh. It was just work. It was, it was the grittiness, uh, hard work that, that I saw with my family. And, uh, and then I made it happen. But that's how I ended up getting into Harvard. You know, I used to live uh, near Harvard in Boston. I didn't like Boston and I didn't like Massachusetts much, but. Oh, look at that. That's the news you just made. I didn't either. Well, I used to live there until the cop told me to move my van. So that's what I'm doing here. Um, let me just tell the kids and the parents. Um, the superintendent, Dr. Vitti, was very tardy for this show. And we're going to need a note from your hairdressing mother. Because you don't just get away with it. So anyway, Doc, thank you. We'll be in touch. Keep doing the good work. And here's the sign again. Pots. It's time to pots. Thanks, Dr. Go. We're All right. Thank it. you. Take care, everyone. Thanks. See you, brother. Thank you for the time. Yeah, they are making progress there. They're making, you know, the, the numbers are going up. Well, they are, Charlie. But like I asked Dr. Vitti, I think a lot of times people are just so hell-bent on holding on to what DPS used to be that they're not receptive um, to any of the changes. When, when Dr. Vitti first came in, I saw a different approach. Um, that he was taking. It wasn't a political approach. It wasn't a self-serving approach. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I like Dr. Vitti. I like who he is. I like what he brings to the table. Um, other than being late, I, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on the team. <laughs> yeah, but we're not there yet. So, I mean, right. you know. The, well, the, he said there's work to be done. And I mean, exactly. you got res- so you, to respect I'm go- that. I'm going in there. You I want to go I mean. too, Charlie. Okay, then That's we'll fine. go. Okay, we'll send right. you in. Let's go. on it. Okay, now, um, I want to, uh, where's my sheet here? All right, look, uh, we got Jordan Sheridan coming and he had a, he and his uh, colleague wrote a big piece in Vice about Flint. Uh, they did a year and a half look at what's going on. We'll have him on in a moment, but let me just remind everybody, Luke Nowacki, remember what he's saying. I mean, Luke and I have a lot of philosophical discussions um, about wealth, about how the economy is going to restart. Remember when everybody was leaving the market, he said, be calm. The market is now at a level that just two years ago was a record. Yep. I'm not sure what the economy is doing, but if you're, you're trying to figure out where you're going with your, your personal and uh, investments, your, your pension funds, your small town banks, call Luke Nowacki, Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748 for rational financial advice. Uh, we're going to come out of this and we're going to have to pick up these pieces. 
you didn't get your PPP loan. I didn't get it. The bank screwed me. I didn't, I didn't get any loan. I didn't ask for one, but still. Right. So what comes next? Right. Now everybody realizes it's a little bit more difficult than gambling on a stock. Luke Nowacki, 248-663-4748 for what fits you. And always remember securities and investment advisory services of other resources. Number of financial advisors, BC, well, and associates, and simply MLM. The readies, marketing, name, products, service, records here, and independent and services, Inc. I trust Luke. A lot of people do. He cares about big people and the small people and the middle people. Rational advice. Hey, uh, Jordan. Can you hear me, bro? I need to unmute him. Hang on. Yeah, there we go. There we go. There he is. This is hey, Jordan, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, he's, uh, for sure, dude. Let me, let me do this. What happened? Okay. <laughs> the, go ahead. Jordan, tell us what popped yesterday. Instead of, you know, it was a very big and in-depth piece about Flint. You didn't quit on it. Yeah, so uh, my partner Jen and I have been digging for God knows how long, probably over a year at this point. And we uh, broke that Governor Rick Snyder was warned a year before uh, the Flint water switch uh, in person in a briefing about uh, the bacterial risks uh, of the Flint River being used as a water source, the risks of carcinogens, uh, the TTHMs. Uh, he was warned a year before the water switch, allowed it to proceed anyway. We also learned that in October 2014, six months after the water switch, that's when he first became aware of the deadly Legionella outbreak. He told Congress he became aware in January 2016, which would be 16 months later. Uh, we also found out that his, uh, I guess you could say, right-hand man, Rich Baird, uh, kind of described to us as his enforcer. was yeah, Dick. Going around. We, call him, we call him Dick around here. Okay. Uh, was going around Flint, uh, essentially offering residents, uh, very loud and sick residents, some of whom were getting media attention, uh, essentially special deals. Uh, it's been described to us as payoffs uh, in exchange for them, you know, be quieting down, so to speak. Uh, some of those deals included medical treatment. Some of those deals included expanded Medicaid. Uh, we also learned that in that critical uh, October 2014 period, uh, six months after the water switch, there was a whistleblower inside the Snyder administration, his environmental advisor uh, and lawyer, Valerie Brader. She had emailed Dennis Muchmore, the chief of staff, other top officials, uh, basically waving, you know, the blinking red lights. We got to get Flint off of the Flint River. Uh, she was then passed to Richard Baird and Darnell Early, the emergency manager. Uh, they had a conference call where Miss Brader was basically told, uh, you know, we can't switch back. It's too much money. That part was public. What we learned was uh, after that conference call, Rich Baird basically told her, don't ever send another bleeping email like that again, uh, threatened her and silenced her, essentially. Um, and he actually lied about that under oath, which is the other part. Uh, Baird, much more, and Andy Dillon were all secretly subpoenaed by former special prosecutor Todd Flood, uh, they were brought in for investigative subpoena interviews, which was not known to the public. And uh, our reporting indicates that Governor Snyder, uh, they were building a case. The former prosecutors were building a case, kind of old school, start from the bottom, work your way up. Well, say it again. OK, so now let's OK, now that you got it out, we're going to talk regular for regular people. Right. Sure. Then we'll post this on our website. OK, right. no bullshit news hour. No BS news hour dot com. In short. 
the governor knew well before he said he knew. Correct. Right. Number two, his inner circle knew. Correct. Number three, they've been deposed and you got your hands on what they said under oath behind closed doors. Okay. Correct. It reveals to you that they knew. Yes. That the new prosecution team that dropped all, you know, all the charges and started over, uh, is aware that they were building a, a RICO case, a financial fraud case, correct? Yes. And uh, Attorney General Nessel publicly uh, in an interview said she never she never heard of any KWA charges uh, before her time, which was provably false. I mean, it's Say that again. What do you mean KWA improvably false and financial Governor, charges? Uh, Attorney, General Dana, Attorney General Dana Nessel went on Michigan radio, I believe in March of 2019, uh, in response to a, pro a prosecutor that was fired, who Noah Hall. Noah Hall was criticizing Attorney General Nessel, so she went on Michigan radio to respond to that. She said in that interview, uh, three years, and I've never seen uh, any charges related to the KWA pipeline. Uh, the interviewer didn't press back, but that just wasn't true. Darnell Early was charged. Gerald Ambrose was charged uh, for false pretenses related to the KWA bond deal which our reporting, I mean, there's been reporting about the KWA bond deal, but our reporting moved it further that essentially uh, that's why they did not switch Flint back uh, to, the, uh, to Detroit, because if they did, they would be, Flint would be on the hook both to pay Detroit and for these $100 million worth of KWA bonds. Let's do so, this again because it gets confusing for people. When Flint couldn't borrow any money, right? right. So they came up with a pretense, well, a reason to borrow money, which was there was a pit of sludge that needed to be cleaned up. Wouldn't yes. take that much money, but they were able to come up with nearly a hundred million, which they diverted to this new pipeline deal. And within that new deal was you have to drink from the Flint River and you may not leave the Flint River. Is this correct? Yes. Uh, Flint was handcuffed as part of that deal. You had to use the Flint River while KWA was under construction. And if you if you left the Flint River knowing it was poison, what would be the penalty? Somebody had to pay the bonds and the banks. So that was the penalty. Flint would still be on the hook for those KWA bonds if they left, uh, if they went back to using Detroit water. And if they if they brought suit today on the false pretenses, right, uh, of that switch in the Flint River, the state would still be on the hook for that hundred million, two hundred million dollars, correct? Correct, because the state uh, signed off on that administrative consent order. So in your reporting, is there any drive, Democrat, Republican, in this state to get that justice, to blow up that deal, to bring the money people to court, the people that arranged it? Is there any interest in blowing up this bond deal? Well, can't get in Attorney General Nessel's head, but what I have been told by sources uh, familiar with the criminal investigation, uh, the state's liability would almost double if that KWA bond deal advanced in criminal court, because you're talking angry bondholders at wanting their money back. You're talking Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, the big boys. Uh, so yes, uh, there's a conflict of interest here, Charlie, because state of Michigan, who is prosecuting uh, the Flint water criminal investigation is also the same state that would have to pay the bill uh, if those bonds, uh, if it advanced in criminal court, 
right now, maybe Flint gets a settlement for $200, $300 million if they're lucky. Uh, if that KWA bond deal got, went forward, uh, sources told me, you're looking closer to $700 million, possibly even a billion. Whoa. So Whoa. yes, there was definitely a vested interest. And, and also, uh, Attorney General Nessel's office has never really gave a, a substantive explanation. Why did you have to drop all of these charges? If there were flaws, I don't know, Todd Flood, I, I don't know if there were flaws, but if there were flaws in that uh, pro- prosecution team, common sense here, why would you have to drop eight charges? And if how flawed could they have been if charges, uh, you know, uh, two judges moved Nick Lyon and Eden Wells over to face jury trials? Let me go like this for the listener and the viewer. The two people you just mentioned, right, Wells and Lyon, were the top health officials in the Snyder cabinet. They were charged with manslaughter, and it took a year for their preliminary exam, which normally takes a day or two, right? right? Cost millions of dollars. And a judge said of Lyon that he's corrupt. Correct. So what happens in a week from today, Jordan? Yeah, I'm baffled, Charlie, because before I came on, the attorney general's office issued a statement. They didn't mention my report, but I assume that's why they did. They or say, mine. Yeah, they say there's some confusion about the statute of limitations. Uh, I mean, I've read Michigan law, the statute of limitations for felony misconduct in office charges is six years. Next week is a six year anniversary. Doesn't mean Flint switched over to the Flint River. Correct. So it doesn't mean they can't press other charges like manslaughter. But for felony misconduct in office, which several top officials were charged with and then dismissed, uh, it's next week. And uh, State Senator Jim Ananick. Uh, another state senator have tried to uh, extend that deadline. So I don't really know what they're talking about that next week is not the statute of limitations. Everything that I've seen, it is the statute of limitations. Well, don't forget this. I think you would know some people from Flint, they listen to the show. Thanks for being in Flint. When Dana Nessel and Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy went to Flint to explain why they did this, which to me was a political move. They said, we're up against the statute of limitations here. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter. But for the, the RICO, the racketeering case, the financial case, I think you can pretty much look at this thing as being dead. There will be. Did you hear this? this is what I'm hearing. They'll probably bring back the manslaughter charges. There might be some misdemeanor charges for Baird and Snyder in terms of dereliction of duty or misconduct. But I don't think you're seeing heavy felony charges coming. So what we'll have is a big PR balloon. I've talked to some reporters that cover this. They think Snyder being charged in any way is a big deal. But to me, it's not that big of a deal. What do you think? Well, here's the bigger deal. As far as I can tell, Attorney General Dana Nessel, who said they say she's not involved in the criminal side. So give that for what you want. At all, everything I've reported, they've been sitting on for over a year. They've had this information for over a year. Uh, They fired investigators, they fired prosecutors, they dropped charges, and they've had this information for over a year. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if they have enough evidence for uh, manslaughter against Snyder or Baird or misconduct or what they have evidence for. But what I do know is they've had this information for over a year and they haven't charged anyone. They have they have dropped the charges. So, uh, you know, people could decide what that means to them. But 
as far as I can tell, there is evidence here that Governor Snyder was warned before the water was switched and he allowed it to proceed anyway. Absolutely. And there's evidence that he lied in front of Congress uh, and lied to the people of Flint. So I think that would, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me uh, there's arguments that can be made that that rises above misdemeanors. You also have, you know, Governor Snyder's basically lieutenant going around Flint, paying people off. So if Governor Snyder didn't know about that, then you have to get into, well, is that negligent? Well, maybe it's coming. You know, I don't know. But the, the, the big one, the big one, the biggest one is the financial issue here, because uh, yes or no, this isn't just Republicans. It was the Democrats up there, too. Right. It was the, right. it was the contractor. It was Democrats, Republicans, trade unions and contractors. Yes. Yes. OK, so what's to stop them from doing it again? Exactly. I mean, the bottom line is there's been plenty of reporting out there, but. You know, Governor Snyder didn't hide the fact that he wanted to privatize everything in Michigan, including the water. Uh, The way to do that was to break up the Detroit water and sewage pipeline, which Flint had been getting its water from. Uh, Flint was Detroit's biggest customer. So that's where the KWA comes in. They created a completely identical, um, duplicative, parallel pipeline to the existing Detroit pipeline. From everyone, everyone in the know I've talked to, it was completely unnecessary. Detroit basically cut its rate to Flint in half, and they still went to the KWA. A lot of banks have made money. A lot of wealthy investors have made money. Uh, a lot of contractors have made money. Uh, and a lot of this water is not even, was not even meant to go to Flint. It's raw water that it, uh, you got you know, for food processing, for agriculture, for fracking. So right. uh, that is the big, I think you're correct, that the big, um, uh, it's been reported on a little bit, but what people around the country don't realize is this was a privatization scheme gone terribly wrong. And everything I could see uh, there, Andy Arena, Todd Flood, others were building. Andy Arena went public and he said, before I got fired, six months later, six months in the, into the future, there were going to be more financial charges. He said it on this show, man. And what he Correct. also said was they never, the new administration never bothered to have me in for a debriefing yep that's the guy that took out trafficant in ohio and killed patrick in detroit and ran the fbi's bureau in new york city yep and you didn't ask him anything it's yep. bullshit mark what you want to ask well i wanted to go back to the whole you know the story that you wrote for vice.com jordan you start with kind of a i would say it's a bombshell that said uh, snyder talked to uh, Mayor Weaver about having um, Elijah Cummings back off on the investigation because it seems like he lied to Congress about that. Fortunately, Cummings died. Where does that stand now with Congress? Is there any interest in um, in what's going on, with picking up where Cummings was? Uh, you're asking if Congress has interest in justice for poor people? <laughs> um, well, one member did at one time, it seems. And where's the uh, FBI? Yeah, from my reporting, because I, you know, obviously Cummings has passed away, but um, it has not been a high uh, priority of the oversight committee uh, since his passing. Uh, what I do know is Governor Snyder was not so worried when Republicans controlled Congress, mm-hmm. but when Democrats won in November 2018, that's when he approached uh, then Mayor Weaver asking, can you get this guy to back off? And I don't know, I go by common sense. I kind of learned that, you know, Charlie's one of my journalistic heroes. 
if you got nothing to hide, why are you asking the mayor of Flint to get him to back down? What are you so worried about uh, things being investigated? I also think another element that I hope the story now makes sense to Flint residents, a lot of Flint residents, Michigan taxpayers are wondering, why in the world is Governor Snyder charging us $8.5 million for his criminal defense fees if he's not under investigation? Well, I think this story shows he was under investigation, and that's why. God damn it. Okay, so I want to ask. Let me weigh this in to you. I think great, 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 great reporting, Jordan. Uh, certainly appreciate that. But at the end of the day, while all this question of criminalization continues to cloud, the people in Flint still are without quality water and a solution to a problem that has spanned now, what, six years? Yep. It's. I think that's the most devastating part of the story, and I'm really appreciative uh, Vice uh, ran it, because in the story we also show, didn't get a lot of attention, but Snyder's environmental department manipulated the testing too. So, you know, we really don't know. With, without credible testing, there's no way to know what in the world they are drinking right now, because Snyder shut down those water pods and declared mission accomplished two years ago. But they were flushing residents' water lines before taking the tests, which is totally against EPA regulations. And common sense, again, how could the water, how could those lead levels drop so quickly if they didn't touch the main pipes in the streets? They didn't touch the interior plumbing. It's not like that water just skipped over the main pipes and only damaged the service lines. Uh, and I've been to Flint. Uh-oh. I meet I, I meet people that are still getting rashes from that water. I meet people that are still losing hair. Well, let's also do this, Jordan. I mean, we know under Weaver, under the Democrats, they failed to test the EPA standards last year. They're in violation. It's Correct. all of these fucking people. Let me let me Correct. let me you you sent it to me. I got it from somebody else today. Apparently, I'm no longer on the attorney general's email list or the the prosecutor, but he, let me give the statement because it's it's great. It's from Fadwa Hamoud. Uh, what is her title again? The Inspector General. Solicitor General. Solicitor, Solicitor General. General. And Kim Worthy, the Wayne County Prosecutor, quote, as we approach six years since the water switch in Flint, we must remember the ongoing struggle of the people of Flint. <laughs> You're right. And their resiliency in the face of a man-made disaster that will span generations. But they did not volunteer to serve as a cautionary tale of the government gone wrong. This fate was imposed on, first of all, how do we even know that? Since they're not done with their investigation. Anyway, this fate was imposed on them by a series of actions and inactions that created the historic injustice of the Flint water crisis from the outset. Our team committed to a complete investigation of the Flint water crisis using all investigative means at our disposal. We committed to professional prosecution of anyone criminally responsible for this man-made crisis and the resulting death, injury, and trauma experienced by the people of Flint, despite the challenges posed by our state by the COVID-19 pandemic, the current state of emergency will not prevent us from pursuing justice. April 25th, 2014 is a significant date in the history of Flint. However, we want to correct the misconception that April 25th, 2020 is the deadline to bring charges against those who may be criminally liable. Criminal statutes of limitations vary depending on offense and the date of the alleged criminal act. Though we cannot comment on the specifics of our investigation, we remain on track and we are delivering our commitment to the people of Flint. Are they, Jordan? Well, all I can tell you is Michigan law for the felony misconduct in office <laughs> is six years. Uh, so, I, you know, yes, there are different statutes for different crimes, but 
remember, most of the charges were misconduct in office, not manslaughter. Uh, Stephen Bush, Leanne Schechter Smith. So uh, it, it, they're, they're doing kind of a voodoo by words here, but the statute for misconduct in office is next week. Uh, lawmakers have called to extend it. And listen, I don't want to, you know, uh, I don't want to go to a public war with the attorney general, but I will say uh, I'll do it. words are just words. Actions speak louder than words. Uh, I still have no explanation from the attorney general why these charges were dropped. If you didn't like Todd Flood or you didn't like his investigation, sure, you have the right to, you know, start start over again, but still no explanation. What was Here's my problem, on. Jordan. Before she was even the Democratic nominee for attorney general, she announced she was going to fire the whole team without looking at one page. Correct. I've spent five years doing this. You know what I mean? I know what's going on, and I'm not accusing anybody being a criminal here. But you have the drain commissioner up there to put the deal together. The the bond attorney who represented Flint and Genesee County and the KWA. He's now the CFO for Detroit. You know what I mean? What, come on. Justice yep. for Flint. And I don't want to get too in the weeds, Charlie, but the story no. also reveals we got transcripts of Andy Dillon, the former treasurer uh, with Todd Flood. He said... I, I, I told them from the beginning, I'm not approving Flint going on the KWA if they are anything other than a customer. That uh, He was told by Jeff Wright that Flint will not be borrowing money. The drain commissioner. Correct. Yes. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of lies told here and zero accountability. Uh, let, me let, move. Let, let me ask one question. Yep. Maybe it's either you or Jordan, but uh, during the campaign, Governor Whitmer did mention uh, or that Flint was still on her radar. Where does this fall in the current uh, on the current governor's agenda? I mean, I haven't heard any, any mention from the governor's office about it. Have you, Jordan? Uh, let's just say a lot was from the story so that it wouldn't be 20,000 words. So part two, we'll get into her. <laughs> okay. But listen, Governor Whitmer, she promised uh, as governor-elect that she was going to reopen those water pods. Hasn't happened. And Mayor Weaver is on the record saying that when she uh, was asking, you know, the Mayor Weaver was very excited. You know, Democrats coming in, maybe uh, better relations than Governor Snyder. Uh, and Governor Whitmer, from our reporting, indicate uh, indicates that she basically threw up her hands and told Mayor Weaver, Sorry, can't help you. Can't get any money. Like she was powerless in, you know, quote unquote, the legislature has Flint fatigue. Well, you're the governor. So if it was a priority to you, you could have made it, you know, a fight for that money for Flint. So those water pods are not open that Governor Whitmer promised. Uh, and according to Mayor Weaver, she told Mayor Weaver, uh, the legislature has Flint fatigue and I can't get you any more money. Wow. Did you, um, you, you didn't get an interview with the governor about this, did you? No, I mean. Did you get an interview with Nestle? Oh, no. What Actually, interestingly, they keep telling me that Nestle is not involved with the criminal Right, right. Okay, so I, I moved to the next one. Hamoud, her. No. Know, that's, see, here's the thing. And Charlie, you should know, yeah. I've met with Solicitor General Hamoud, and I've met with investigators. I'm the one who brought them some of this. Uh, so. You know, I'm I'm a journalist. But see, you, you notice what happens here? Here's the thing. I don't give a shit if you're a Republican or a Democrat, male or female, black or white. You go to some people that have some real questions. What's going on in this state is you can appear on a comedy show or a morning talk show, but that doesn't get us answers when real people know real questions. And probably even Snyder sat for an interview with me during the middle of this and took his ass beating. 
Yeah. You get it on the record where he's going to deny it. Okay, you're going to deny it. But we know this is not good government. This is right. fucking Twitter. This is no way to run it. So yep. we, want, we want some justice. And let me tell you, I mean, straight up, former prosecutor said to me, the Snyder administration presided over a criminal cover-up similar to organized crime. That's, that's a quote from them. Wow. And Governor, excuse me, Attorney General Nessel, she has all this information. Hopefully, you know, I'll be happy to have egg on my face. But as of now, I don't see any hints that broader <laughs> charges are coming. And I really, you know, one would have to wonder, Charlie, that, you know, you, you just totally burned down three years out of an investigation from a Republican attorney general or a Republican special prosecutor, you didn't, like you said already, like Andy Arena said, no real debriefing, no no information uh, gathering on what was done. And from what I've seen uh, and what I've heard from people who have been spoken to by Solicitor General Hamoud, been interviewed since, uh, I get an impression that they don't know what they're doing, uh, is the impression. Ooh. <laughs> Okay. That's Listen, not my opinion. Man. That's not my opinion. That's people who have been interviewed by them. Uh, yeah, look here, man. Let's just do this because we're professionals. Like, I want Flint to know we didn't quit on you. We're, yeah. You know, it was a, a, a really thorough piece you did. And, and even if you know a bunch of it like I do, it reminds you and it lays it out clearly. The local media, the big press, the two newspapers and the three TV stations, nobody's even mentioned this. Yes. Not even mentioned it. You know, this isn't some little fly-by-night alt-weekly here. This is a professional. You worked for NBC News, did you not? I used to work for MSNBC, yeah. Fox? Used to work for Fox, MSNBC, yeah. We're not clowns, man. I've been doing this for a decade. Right on. And, so I will, and I will say, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but... I mean, I've been to Flint 15 times, uh, mostly on my dime, not the networks I've reported for. It's baffling to me. I mean, if you're a journalist, this is like this is like a juicy steak, this kind of corruption. This could this could make your career if that's of interest to you. The corruption. Most of these people are lazy in their corruption because they don't expect any journalists to follow up. But I mean, the free press passed on this story. They're not covering it. Uh, The Flint Journal is still writing press releases uh, from the state. Uh, Detroit News, I mean, I could go down the list. It's really a disservice to the people of Flint. And, and you know, it's not just Flint. If there's no accountability here, don't think this can't come to a town near you soon, wherever you're watching from. Because if the government's never hold accountable, held accountable for poisoning people and then leaving them to die, they'll do it somewhere else. Well said, man. And I'm just going to remind everybody, you lost money doing this. This yes. was a labor of love. Yes. You got poor, not rich doing this. So thank you on behalf of John Q. Public. Uh, what does that say there, Mark? I just didn't know, Jordan, if you wanted to plug it. I know uh, you have a website, yeah. Status Yeah, Q. so uh, we reported this for Vice, but we're actually, uh, you know, it's one of those things. We kind of gathered this and then, you know, Vice obtained. So our outlet is Status Coup, uh, a coup d'etat, the status quo. Uh, you can find us on YouTube.com slash Status coup. That's status C O U P. Twitter. All right, man. Twitter. We'll post it. Thank, thanks for the hard work, man. At status coup. Thank you. Thanks, right. Jordan. It is that was good, Charlie. That was great. It's a great it's article. A, yeah. It's a great article. It's long, and long. Uh, you know, it's not a comic book. 
So yeah. read it, sit down, read it thoroughly. It, it lays it out. It, I just remember getting on it and just started tracing the water and then ending up at the water treatment plant and say, we start there. The biggest thing, where it actually happened. For if you guys read Jordan's article, you know, the they were so cheap, they wouldn't even spend $100 a day to put the anti-corrosive um, chemicals in there. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yep. The reason was, it's not the 100 bucks. It's that the plant was so old that there was no place to put the chemicals in. See, it was built in 1960, and they didn't put that stuff in in 1960. So you'd, you'd have to have guys pouring bags of fertilizer over, over the tanks. Get Charlie, it? I want to know what happened when Snyder made a commitment to drinking the water. Do you remember when he stood up and they said, well, you yeah. got your grant? And it just like, well, okay, so what happened? Nobody ever asked what happened to that. I mean, I, I, mean, I know he that. He stopped involved. doing it. He flew to Germany. Exactly. And he said when he came back and that was the end of the discussion. I mean, those are small things, but people, you know, he said that to try to validate um, that the, the water was fine, but everybody just kind of let him off the hooks. Like, dude, if you said you were going to drink the water, drink the water. He hasn't. Well, Obama came in and drank the water too. Yeah, he did. Fake coughing shit, you know. So we all know this is way, way bigger than. Yeah, but people are dying as a result, Charlie. That's not. That's not cool. That's well chronicled in the article as well. Right? Okay. Let me take care of some business here, and then we're going to have Brian uh, Panabecker from the Auto Workers for Trump 2020. He's been very patient. Huh? He's been very patient. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm assuming he's look. Yeah. You, I don't know. Hey, He's got great posture, up, too. Does, doesn't he have great posture? Keep him muted, but pop him up. Check this out. <laughs> He's For those up. of you listening, I look at him. He's smiling big. He got his big chops. He got his deplorable uh, Lives Matter shirt on. And behind him is Auto Workers for Trump 2020. I mean, this guy. But, you know, he's a friend of the show. Uh, yeah. You know, he's legit. And he took a whole caravan up there. But before we do that, let me remind you that David Hall and Hall Financial care about the community. You know, we we support them. They support us. That's why the team at Hall Financial is working from home around the clock to help people save money by refinancing. It's a great time to look at your options. And that's why so many people are refinancing right now. If you haven't refinanced in the last year, Hall Financial is here to help. Now's the time to lower your monthly payments and keep some extra money in your pocket as we go through these turbulent times. And by refinancing, you can probably dig it you can probably skip up to two payments. Wow. So why not see if you can save some money or cut down your term? If you're worried about coronavirus, don't. Homes, dig this. Homes can be appraised without someone stepping foot inside your house. Appraisers are doing drive-by appraisals. I kid you not, okay? Hall Financial Service is the fastest in the business. That's why they've received nearly 1,500 five-star reviews from Michigan homeowners. Go to their webpage and click on the logo and get started or call 248-308-5000. Hall Financial, lower payments, better options, more personal attention. Mark, what is the website? DavidHallMortgage.com? Yep, slash, oh, I believe yours is no BS news. Let me check it really quick. No, no, <laughs> we don't do that because then they, <laughs> they check to see if anybody's, they don't give me that. Okay. David Hall Mortgage, right? <laughs> there's a not on it. There's a link on your yeah, it is davidhallmortgage.com. There's a link on your website too. That makes yes. it even easier. Because I go there all the time and notice it. 
I'm always on my website going, wow, what a great show. I don't know if I believe NMLS that. number 1467435. Now, my favorite redneck, Brian Panabacker. What's up, brother? Uh, hang on. Got to unmute him. Let me try that again. We'll cut that out in post. Whoa. What's up, brother? Hey, how you doing, Charlie? Good, man. Now, you took a caravan. Uh, Mark, you do it. Set the stage of what went on this week in Lansing. Well, it was Operation Gridlock. The uh, was the purpose was to show up to, you know, kind of protest the governor's stay-home order and uh, get everybody back to working. And, I, you know, me personally, watching it, I think there's some valid argument there, although I did feel that maybe it turned into a little bit of a circus. Couple thousand people, Brian. You took fifty car, fifty cars of people up there, didn't you? Well, Charlie, my uh, auto workers for Trump group met in Sterling Heights, right on Van Dyke. We had between twenty-five and thirty cars that left from Sterling Heights. We drove to Livonia and met with Rob Cordes, the owner of the Trump Unity Bridge. He had forty to forty-five vehicles there in the parking lot of his store. So when we left there, we were probably at 60 or 70 vehicles. We drove to Howell and picked up 80 or 90 more vehicles, cement trucks, dump trucks, landscape uh, pickup trucks with trailers. So by the time we pulled into Lansing, we probably had close to 200 vehicles uh, in our convoy. Wow. Jesus, man. You went to every cracker box in southeastern uh, Michigan. You went to Sterling Heights, Livonia. Howell, damn, dude. So, what were look? You you weren't up there protesting that. You're going to retire pretty soon. You were. That was a Trump rally, wasn't it? (laughs) No, that was a um, a protest against Gretchen Whitmer. It really had nothing to do with uh, promoting President Trump. But um, it just so happens that most of the people that don't like to see our liberties taken away also support President Trump. And he is very outspoken about what Gretchen Whitmer has done. You know, Charlie, you know as well as I do, and you've, you've got to agree with me on this. Lowe's and Home Depot are open. But when you go into a, a Lowe's or a Home Depot, you can't walk down certain aisles of that store to buy gardening equipment. It's insanity. So uh, Gretchen Whitmer is on a power trip. You know it as much as I do. And we're both uh, probably on the same page on that, on that issue. Well, I would say this, bro. Um, I said the government, the, the, the problem with Whitmer is everything's been so confused and uh, sort of half managed and then mismanaged going, you know, you let the primary happen and people mix and then we have an explosion. You don't hold business to account or close the factory floors right away. It's a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit. So nothing I think we all could have dug it if it was consistent from the beginning. We need to do this now. But like you said, I think it's piece by piece. Now you can't go get seeds, but you can get plumbing supplies. It, I, I don't know what 70% of the people are saying she's managed this very well because the things she's done very well, I think she's followed the, the governor of Ohio, and we, they have four times less of these cases than we do. Something's terribly wrong the response to the jails, the prisons. That's my opinion. Charlie, if there's a poll out there that says 70% of Michigan residents think she's done a good job of managing uh, yeah. this, that's, that's insanity. Well, fake, fake news 
that's fake news. I mean, that's the definition of fake news. And, and you know, I read uh, Beth LeBlanc in the Detroit News wrote an article, it was in yesterday's paper, that said there were several thousand, 4,000 was, I think, the number that they used in the news, uh, people that went to Lansing. Well, I would conservatively say there were 10,000 people there. And I know from personal my personal experience, I tried to get in from four or five different main roads into downtown Lansing, and they were backed up for a mile outside of the downtown area. So finally, I just had to park, put on my gloves, put on my N95 mask, and I walked, and, and I had it on maps, so I know it was eight-tenths of a mile. That was the closest I could get, and I walked. I was on the phone with Charlie Langton. He was out in front of the uh, Lansing Capitol, and I walked to him to do an interview, and by the time I got there, he had left. He had gone to do something else on another assignment, so it was close to a mile traffic backup on every main road leading into are downtown. You, are you telling me Charlie Langton's ordering interviews? Come, come to me? He didn't order it, but he was out in front of the Capitol. I'm sure you saw it. And I, I was uh, texting back and forth with him. And he said, hey, if you can get down here, there's six or 700 people that are out of their vehicles. So I put on my gloves and my N95 mask and uh, I walked to the Capitol. And when I got there, yeah, there were five or 600 people on foot. But they were, they were not any closer to each other than the people in Kroger. When I go to pick up my weekly groceries, I didn't get any closer to anybody than I did at Kroger. So all the media outlets that are saying they were disregarding the governor's social distancing rules are just misleading people because... Mark, I, I will say... Let me do this, I got to do this real quick. This is the weirdest way to do a group thing because... <laughs> I know. Off camera, and then when you're listening, everybody's raising their it's like hands. School. It's like just fucking yell, man. We're trying not to be rude, Charlie. <laughs> it's Brian. It's cool. Just jump. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm ready to mix it up. I will say so. Kind of echoing what you said, Charlie. I, I do think Whitmer's intentions were good in her stay-at-home order. I think it just like a lot of things with government. The intention's good. Maybe the way it operates doesn't operate because different things for different people. But what I wanted to ask you, Brian, and I do think Charlie Langdon on his report did express how many people were there. He said by nine o'clock, you know, it's supposed to start at noon by nine o'clock, everything was shut down. He wouldn't have gotten in. Um, but what I wanted to ask you, you know, you make a great point. I thoroughly agree with you about the parts of Home Depot and Lowe's being shut down is ludicrous because I personally went to two stores to get the things I needed because I couldn't go to Home Depot. Um, so you make a valid point there. However, I wanted to get your opinion on, you know, there's, there's people there. There was a Nazi flag. There was a um, Confederate flag. stars and bars. There were people with guns. Do you think that aspect of it maybe lessens that argument, the legitimate argument about restarting? No, it has nothing to do with it. You know, if I wanted to sabotage some type of liberal progressive uh, gathering or a rally, I could show up there and act like I was part of their group with uh, a KKK suit on because we all know that's where the KKK originated was the Democrat Party. Senator Robert Byrd was a KKK member and he was the leader, the Senate majority leader. Can you just get to the point? For the Democrats. So the point is... So some 
redneck drove by in a pickup truck and I, I saw that, you know, there's no denying it. He drives by with a, a Confederate flag in the back of his pickup truck. And all of a sudden everybody wants to say, oh, those Trump supporters, they're all uh, racist uh, KKK members. But didn't so, you say you stopped and picked up a group and how? Isn't that where the, the heart of the KKK lies for, for Michigan? I mean, you picked up some supporters and how? How do you separate, you know, the principles of what the group stands for? I, I don't get it. Well, I, I'll answer that. Let me do it, right? Because you're talking, Karen, from 1930 or, you know, like the last picture. No, we're not. Yeah, I'm Charlie. telling you, because I'm the guy that drove with the Klan in North Carolina. Like the, the point, I agree with Brian here. I didn't go to it. I was busy trying to be proactive down here. But I saw the same picture, the same damn flag everywhere. Right. And now you have to talk about an asshole with his Dixie flag or a swastika, right? That doesn't mean that the plumber that went there who's losing his home is a, is a, is a Nazi. Or if you're from Howell. Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Let me, let me, you know, I'm probably the master of bad analogies, but let me give you another uh, example here. And the media just has, they've been feasting on this ever since President Trump did it. Down in South Carolina, when uh, there was that... Um, uh, rally. They were. They were. Uh, the progressives wanted to tear down all the statues of Robert E. Lee and anybody that was on the Confederate side back in the, you know, time of the Civil War. Uh, President Trump made the foolish mistake of saying there were some good people there on each side. Well, of course, President Trump wasn't talking about the handful of white supremacists that you know were were despicable, and we all condemn that you know, those kind of people. He was talking about the people who wanted to preserve those statues as part of history. You can't rewrite history. Robert E. Lee was a general in the Civil War for the South. So he wanted he wanted to say there were some people there who had legitimate concerns about trying to rewrite history and tearing down all these old statues wasn't going to do any good. So the media takes that and runs with it, and they're still running with it to this day. Well, what he's got to do, you, look, I get it. I do. I totally get it. What he's got to do is better think before he starts. Of course, but... But you That's guys all. have a role to play too, Charlie. You and Karen and Mark can't sit here and say, well, we saw a pickup truck drive by and he had a Confederate flag. Did you see it. me do that? I no, but I'm that. just saying you can't. You can't. I'll That's tell not you what. I'll tell you what. That's I not legitimate to, journalism. I, I've been around Antifa. Those guys are fucked up. Right. That's mm-hmm. far left. Charlie, I was, thing. listen, I was at that rally in Lansing and I'm going to tell you, those people were polite. They were respectful. They were for the most part, even the people that were on foot were respecting the governor's social distancing rules and the police were all over the place. They were on bikes. And, and every time they went by the Trump unity bridge, we've got a, a, a loud, a loud speaker system on that. And Rob Cordes, the owner would say, here comes lo- the, the uh, good people from law enforcement. We respect them. We thank them for the good job they're doing. And they were very friendly towards us. We were very respectful towards them. That's why we had having you on, man, because we, we respect you and your point of view, and you know you're part I of the community. Truth. Charlie, I will I will tell the truth. Oh, no, and no, I, no, no, no. And you I know you're out about there. The truth. Fake news. You put fake news on your Facebook, so I'm going to have to pitch on the fake news. Ready? 
You I won't. I won't put it on if it's on. No, my no, no. Hear me. Hear me. You did fake news on your on your uh, Facebook page. I'm going to tell you what it was. This wasn't the best economy in history. It wasn't as good as the 90s, and it wasn't as good as the 80s in terms of growth. It wasn't. Unemployment, right? You say, like, for minorities, it was an all-time low. Absolutely not, because those who dropped out of the work, those who dropped out of the workforce was at near, there were more people working in 13 than now. So I think what we saw with Corona was the house of cards, both Democrat and Republican and big business created, Borrow, borrow, borrow. Something triggered the collapse of the debt because people can't pay it. Wasn't the greatest economy ever. I'm an economist. I studied it. And I I stayed up very late doing my own individual research, the Federal Reserves. No, bro. Now now it's the time for the real people because we're not getting anything. Charlie, I'm going to beg to differ with you. And we can debate that at length some other time. Okay. Um, but I, I'm telling you, I've, I've been in the auto, working in the auto industry for well over 30 years, 11 yeah. years with Chrysler Corporation, and now tw- almost 25 years with Ford Motor Company. Um, I worked, I was corporate when I was at Chrysler. I worked at 11 different Chrysler plants, the old Chrysler, um, before they were owned by any foreign entities. And I got to see a lot of the different uh, plants uh, from the late 70s all the way through until now. And I'm telling you, we were rocking and rolling. I was working seven days a week, 12 hours a day when I got laid off on March 24th. Things were great. And I, I will I will dispute your claim that it wasn't the best economy ever. It wasn't. Well, well look, that's okay. It Maybe it was like, for you. It just wasn't. Yeah. We were well, rocking and rolling on debt. The statistics that I've read are, are that the uh, black unemployment, unemployment among women, bl- unemployment above Asian Americans, were all at record Watch lows. Though, but you're reading what you want. You know what labor participation rate means? Yes, I do. That that thing like was higher in in 2013. No, bro, wealth disappeared. Real wages really didn't do anything. It's not Trump. It's not Obama. It's not Bush. It's not Clinton. It's I'll not really it's all of us. With you some other time, but we're getting yeah. off into the into the weeds now. You wanted to talk to me about what happened at that rally. And I'm telling you, the media just cannot uh, misrepresent so, the people that were there. They were polite, they were law abiding. We did not have so any Brian, though, with Brian, the- was it a rally or a protest? You just referred to it as a rally. And, and I know a lot of people are really annoyed that COVID, you know, and I, I think there's a legitimate argument about cure uh, versus, you know, the pandemic. But it, it has become political and it's very annoying that it has become political because I have plenty of. A little disingenuous here. You can use the term protest if you want. You can use the term rally. We were rallying out in front of the Capitol to send a message. Okay. To Gretchen Whitmer. So you can call it a protest rally. You can call it a protest. You can call it a rally. Call there. it what you want. But again, you're trying to mislead people by what you're saying. No, no, this is stopping. I'm not trying to mislead anyone. I thought this was no He's BS asking a question. Let's, let's not have any BS. It was no, a protest you, rally. Here. It was no a BS. protest rally. Do you, do you, and do you think we're the, sending Gretchen Whitmer a message, and I think we succeeded. Is the coronavirus, is it political? Is it a political argument, the coronavirus? Well, listen, 
Here's why I was there, Mark. In 1755. Wait a minute. You didn't answer his question, though. I'm going to answer it with a quote from Ben Franklin. In 1755, Charlie, he wrote a letter to the governor of then Pennsylvania uh, back when, you know, the colonies were still being ruled by Great Britain. And he said those that would would give up uh, liberty essential liberties to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And that's, that's why, that's why I was in Lansing because I, I will respect. not give up. I will not give up my liberty for a little temporary safety. Well, here's what you're going to do, man. Like as long, you know, you were, you were being proper and protecting others, wearing your gloves and your mask. You know, I, I got no beef. I don't, I don't got no beef. That's why I called you. I don't got beef. I know what country I live in, man. I'm glad you're in it. I really do. Yeah. Well, I, I figure we're on the same side, Charlie. So, you know, I'm just trying to clarify. 100%. The people that were there were standing up for your liberty, Karen's liberty, Mark's liberty, all of our liberty. We can't give up our liberty just to get a little, especially when we have somebody like Gretchen Whitmer telling us what aisles we can go down in stores. It's gotten way out of hand. Okay, we'll leave it at that, man. Thank you, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch, brother. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks for having thanks, me. Thanks, Brian. See you, Brian. Bye-bye, Karen. Bye. I am going to... Um, Puke? I'm still going to follow follow the government <laughs> order on this baby. You know what I mean? I mean... I understand, and I do, you know, I understand the stay-at-home, the six-foot distancing. I get that. But, dare I say it, I do agree that if a store is open... There is not a right to say what we can and cannot buy. Amen. I do agree with that. You got. I, want, I wanted to paint a wall. I can't buy a can of paint. I had to pay twice as much for fertilizer to be delivered to the house because our landscapers can't come. I get that. So on that one, I do agree. And let me say this because I'm looking at some of the comments. I didn't say the whole entire city of Powell <laughs> was affiliated with the KKK. So <laughs> listen carefully. My dad used to have a business in Howell. So that's not the case. So let's tone that down. Attack me for something else. That's right. not true. I didn't well, you know, that. it's just fun, Karen. You know, there are something to yell at. I know you didn't say it. <laughs> it's all good. Bring it on. It's all good. I, I'm Karen's a woman that. of the world. Look at that. Karen's father. Who's Don't go there, Charles. We'll talk about that another day. I don't want to get into that. Wow. Because that's not the topic. But what I'm saying is, is that, never mind. Just, you know, people hear what they want to hear. If you're going to criticize me, if you're going to criticize Charlie, criticize us for fact. Go back, listen to it. And whether it was this year or 10 years ago, how was commonly known because there was a cluster So that's what I was saying. I didn't say yeah, I know, was. I, I, don't know, know. I wasn't saying everybody in Powell is a Klansman. And in a way we do it, like I was trying to help you make that point and then we're fighting right. everybody up. You know. Yeah, everybody's all listening. I understand to what, what you were saying, because everybody says it. It's all it's good. not really true. It's just that's the way that goes. I know. I could really okay. I could really sense and rightfully so Brian's anger and and how the um uh, the rally slash protest was covered because that's totally. that's what's going to get eyeballs though. That's and that's, yeah, a, that's you know, true. Some of that's on the media. I think a lot of it's on the consumers of media because that's what they want to see. And um, I don't yeah. I don't know how you balance that out. To I'm going to tell you what I, I called Brian after I saw because like again I was running around trying. I didn't stay at home. I'm trying to deliver masks and gloves to you know frontline workers and mm-hmm. people like that. I came home and looked at it 
And I knew right away probably how Brian felt and, you know, good, decent, respectable neighbors of ours. Like, wait, I saw the same fucking Dixie flag. Yeah. The well, same one. But right? you know, The just, same picture of the guy running for Congress with the whatever. And I'm like, that's what it's going to be. But just like, happy, just like if it bleeds, it leads. It's almost like if, if there's a clown, he's going to be in front of the camera. I mean, that's. I don't know where the anger always falls on the media, but I don't know where the anger then falls on the consumer of the media or maybe even the actual clown themselves, you know, because it became the punchline on all the late night shows, which, you know, right. it ruins all the valid arguments of her stay at home order. You know, you can do this. You can't do that. You can still buy alcohol. You can buy lottery tickets. I mean, it's, I'm sure it was well intended. It's been very confusing for a lot of people and it's a, it's a big head scratcher. But like you said, Mark, I mean, th this pandemic, people's lives, I mean, it's nothing to politicize. And I'm not saying this for or against anybody, but we are seeing our uh, leadership at the state and the city level. It's like everything's an audition for a potential uh, White House appointment. I yeah, mean, oh, it's yeah, like without we, a doubt. I mean, and, 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 and there's no time for that right now. You're I mean, gonna, you do have people struggling. You've got people yeah. trying to figure out what to do next. Like Charlie said before we went on, people can't put their hands on $400 or $1,000. And people do want to work, but they don't want going to work to be a death sentence. Yeah. People, you know, so, I mean, there's a lot going on now. There's no time for politicizing. There's no time. There's but no time but you're going to see that. A, it's the theater of leadership and the battle. The next argument is going to be, as Brian so elo eloquently put it, liberty versus people's health and safety. And that's, you know, that's a very and let's do this tough too. argument. Let's remember, let's remember what Jordan said before mm. Brian, which is it doesn't matter what your party affiliation is. Like the, the real stuff for we real people isn't getting done. And it's so obvious that it needs to be. Mm. Okay. So this, you know, I respect Brian a lot because if, if you can't do it to us in a coherent way and give us a coherent strategy, and I know we've never been through this, but half measures and keep changing it starts to drive people yep. mad. And we don't have money. Yep. Plus, I, I do love my liberty. I'm not staying at home. <laughs> I don't yeah, care. I'm, I'm running with a flag and breathe on people. I would like to go to TJ Maxx, though, and they're closed. <laughs> but other than that, I'm good. I, you know, I, I mean, this is okay. I think it's really a time for a reset. I mean, it, this is exposing, just like we, when we talked to Dr. Vitti about the school being the sole source of nutrition for so many kids. I mean, we need to really take a hard look at who we are and how we've been doing things and figure out how to do them differently and better when all this is over, if in fact it's ever over. We, our normal is what got us into this, and we need to now figure watch, out how to yeah, do it. Yeah, watch that, which is you and Brian have some things you agree with, Right. VD and I have some things we agree with. You and I adore each other. Like, it, it must be us. I, I refuse to cut people out. I, 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 I want to hear them. Those Charlie, are the people I appreciate. I never have a problem with someone who disagrees with me. And I don't dislike people who disagree with me. That's not the basis of disrespect or disagreement. It's just not. I mean, I'm all, I, I, I welcome a difference of opinion and respect the difference of opinion as long as that difference of opinion is respectful. I'm good. Tell we don't have I'm, to see eye to eye. What I'm saying is, no, we actually found things that we agree with. We're so busy concentrating on what we don't agree. Right. 
that the foundation for a society is what we do agree on. We all do agree in liberty. We all do agree that children shouldn't starve. We agree on these things. So how do we get there is what we disagree on, and that's fine as long as we have some basic foundation, right? Now, let's... Here's what I'm, I'm working on. This is the no bullshit news. This is where, get ready, media, take out your pens. Here's what you're not getting that you've either gotten or you're going to get from me. Number one, I've been writing about the Wayne County Jail. The number of infected employees in a 700-person department is now 170. Wow. There is no cluster in a public entity bigger than this in America that I know of. They're not even really testing the inmates. Number two, both head doctors, the, the head of medicine, right, and the health director at the Wayne County Jail died of COVID. It wasn't reported and it wasn't put out by the sheriff's department. That's a national story that almost nobody wants to pay attention to. That's number two. The mayor and we'll you're going to be hearing from me next week, Mr. Mayor. <clears throat> you cut the part-time. He's the only guy in America, a politician, that's announced layoffs. You cut the part-time people, the guys boarding up your houses. You cut the lowest by 90%. You cut the bureaucracy by 20%. And then anybody making over $125,000 a year took a get ready for this, a 5% cut. Right. Remember we did on our show and have written that you have 144 appointees making on average $142,000 a year, which for 140 people is 1% of the whole budget. Yep. And that's what you came up with. The police and are going to take a pay cut because they were promised a 2.5% raise. And since bankruptcy, they've lost money. They've lost money. When you were, when you were in the, the administration, Everybody took a 10% cut. Everybody. Everybody. Yep. What is this red ass? I don't know. I didn't get that. And, you know, to me, it, it's, it's almost a, a microcosm of what we're seeing across America. It's like the people, the, the, the least of those bear the greatest burden. That's not how you rebuild a city. But, Charlie, this is what I want to throw out there. The uh, pension obligation payment that's coming due. Just let me throw that out there. Let's not forget about that. That's $220 million. What, in two years, three years. So, I mean, you know, this is that bubble that has burst that we've been talking about for a long time. The mis- Okay, ready for this? Mark, you listening? Yep. It was downstairs, but, you know, you, you it, it, it's been reported everywhere, including locally, that crime across the world is down since the world has been locked in, right? Sure. Rio de Janeiro and um, Johannesburg, South Africa, and Mexico City. Chicago, New York. Well, only here in the No Bullshit News Hour, I have your statistics for Detroit. March 10th through April 16th of last year, there were, this was no lockdown, 20 homicides and 64 shootings. The same period this year during the lockdown, 22 homicides and 95 shootings. That means murder is up. 10% and non-fatal shootings are up 50% in a lockdown. Now I know what you'll say. Well, people are locked up. They get crazy. They drink. They, okay. 
year to date, January through today, last year to this year, homicides are up 40% and shootings are up 33%. My point is we've lost control of the city. It's the brokest place. The the superintendent of the schools told you 10% of the kids can access the freaking internet. 100,000 meals are coming through the schools from us. Mm-hmm. And the only way to distribute them, distribute them is through the schools. We've got an, an issue in our capital city. And what Brian's telling you is that starting to bleed out into places like Howell, like Livonia, like Sterling Heights. The real fear here amongst the the middle class and the working class of any color is you will become the black ghetto. And it's a very scary thing. Think now how people, the good people are forced to live. This is what we need to focus on. This is how we can learn. But Charlie, people have to want to, and they've got to be honest about that fear and honest about the realities that we're now all being forced to look at. I mean, seriously, we do. We can't pretend like this is something other than what it really is. And that's what you just laid out. Here it is. Here it is, Karen. No bullshit. Now, Mark, if you could, I want to do some good news. Yes. Okay. Here's some good news. Grace Dietrich, a Navy veteran, took her time and sewed masks. Carrie Roberts' house took her own money and ordered from China N95s, gloves. These two women are the finest amongst us. Instead of sitting there bitching, they did stuff. And I wrote a little piece on Facebook about the insanity at Sinai Grace, right? The emergency room. Mm-hmm. CNN comes in, everybody comes in, and now we got pictures of dead bodies. But nothing good came out of it. Not, you know, we got to get it out so everybody knows so we can help them. God bless these people. But I can't see it. But it, here's the picture. It's up there. It was up. Of the people that got equipment, knowing somebody cares about them. And I say, bravo. That's Charlie, good let news. me say this. I'm going to take a little editorial uh, position here. You have to be thanked, too, because you've very quietly been getting those masks. You've been getting those gloves. You've been getting that PPE. And you've been quietly passing it out because you know that this is what people on the front line need. So I'm not a large group. But I'm going to tell you thank you. And I want people to know that that's what you've been doing quietly. You didn't call the media. You didn't take a picture. You didn't do any of that stuff. You've been doing it so much to the point that we were all concerned about you being exposed to it. So thank you for doing what you've done as well. You're welcome. And But I can't do the stories knowing what's going on in Sinai Grade or what's going on at the county jail or what's going on with our police officers because I love them very much and write a story and disappear. Like, it's just not in my nature. Like, there's got to be something that we can do to fill the void with an incompetent government. I'm sorry. If, if I was in government, I would know exactly what we need to do with that jail. And I will give the county some credit for taking some minimum steps. But when you release 500 people from the jail back into the community and put them on buses, knowing that your deputies are infected like this, this is a fucking outrage. So. Number two, my car broke down. My caddy. No. weird went on, right? I called Brute. My guy, Brute, the, the on-call mechanic. This guy's a master mechanic. Is the picture up? Yes, it, it will be up. Yep. Oh, 
okay, this is Brute laying on my motor block in the middle of Lafayette. We just jacked up the car. He was wearing a mask. I was wearing a mask. We were socially distancing, which guys don't do when they're working on cars. It's very weird. But uh, it looks like I hit him. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of when you sent the picture. I'm like, oh, no. Joey Joey looked in the trunk. That's how he looks under the hood. Exactly. (laughs) The mannequin Joey's in the trunk and Brute's on the motorbike. That's a 425, so you can sleep on that motorbike. (laughs) Did he fix it? Yeah, man. You know what happened? Is there's a a ground, right? You have one ground goes to your motor, one that goes to your your chassis, your body. Somehow it rattled off. So it took a couple of hours to figure out a wire shook loose. Wow. But it's running like a top. Brute, big ups, man. Thanks. A shout out to uh, Ferndale Radiator Mel. Uh, hope you're doing good, brother. And I guess I should say, ending this, that um, we'll be okay. I mean, we will. We'll be okay. And I'm thinking about Brian. And I, I want to read a quote. I'm re- reading a lot. There's a quote from uh, H.L. Mencken, a great American writer, a great American thinker, uh, early to mid 20th century. He wrote this. There comes a time when every normal person is tempting to spin on his hands, haul up the black flag and begin slitting throats. So when you don't do that, we're not there. We're not there. Right. But I understand your frustration. Stick together. If you're hungry, hit me up on Facebook Messenger. I got some people delivering meals. I, I, I don't got a million of them, but somebody, you know, if, if you're really stuck and you got kids, something like that, an old person, okay, we'll, we'll get you something. Don't know how, but we'll, we'll get it to you. And we'll, we'll keep on for you. And remember, you know, try to love one another. And speaking of Black Flag... Watch TV and have a couple of brews.
Stevie for a day. Or even a minute. Don't even bother to use my brain anymore. There's nothing left there. We've got nothing better to do than watch Stevie have a couple of brews. Hey, wait a minute. My TV doesn't work.